Fred Ricciani of TSC News, the Sports Courier podcast. We have right here on the line a very special guest. I'm honored to have on the legendary Dave Meltzer, legendary journalist, entrepreneur, one of the most authorities on combat sports and combat sports business. Dave, how's everything going? Uh, it's going. <laughs> I mean, it's, been, it's 2020. You know how that goes. Yeah, man. It's not, been, it's not been it's not been a stellar year. Oh yeah, D definitely not. Now you're kind of uniquely qualified to sort of talk about this because you've run the Wrestling Observer for years and years, decades now. So you're used to working from home, but obviously this is under some different circumstances with the pandemic. How much has the pandemic changed the way you do business and how you work with sources? It really hasn't at all because I was working from home anyway. So um, I mean, it's changed what I do. Before it was. I mean, I would be, I would go to shows, I would travel, which I don't do. Um, so that's changed, and I would meet with a lot of people, and I don't really meet with hardly anyone. But as far as, um, you know, it's changed. My coverage used to be like covering matches, and obviously I still cover the TV matches, but there's a lot more coverage on, um, you know, social issues, honest to God, you know, because it's, it, it's been like at the forefront, and it does affect pro wrestling and combat sports. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think um, it's, it's been, and I, I think I spend uh, more time, I've spent more time on the Observer for sure than I had in a long, long time, just because of, um, you know, there's still a lack of other things to do, and also because, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I just thought it was like kind of like my job to learn, you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time, you know, talking to doctors, and things, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff that happened this year that, uh, you know, I felt I needed to learn about. And so, um, it, it, and it, it relates to wrestling because, you know, you've got wrestling companies that kept going and, you know, WWE had an outbreak because they were, you know, they, they really didn't handle it very well. And then some other, you know, you, it's interesting to watch all the different companies and how they all, everyone handles it differently. And you kind of see, I think I noticed like the, 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 the as soon as the pandemic started, I thought that what was going to happen, not just in, in combat sports, but in life in general and in politics and everything, we were going to see the good people shine and the bad people are, were going to really stand out. And I think that it happened way worse than I expected, or may, way more exaggerated than I expected, but it certainly happened that way. For sure. And if I told you at the beginning of the year that, hey, there's going to be a, a huge pandemic and Vince McMahon is going to handle it horrifically in comparison to Dana White, what would you have told me? I wouldn't have been surprised, honestly. Um, I, 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 but at the beginning of the pandemic, like if, if, if you were talking about the, the first couple weeks of the pandemic, yeah, that would have surprised me because Dana White was really in a denial phase. But as soon as he figured out it was real, like he, he turned it around. And I mean, yeah, he's actually done, he, he, he's done a phenomenal job. He said some really stupid things at first, but he's done a phenomenal job. And Vince, I think Vince has done a much better job since they had the outbreak, but Overall, you know, I think WWE in, in so many ways has, has handled it uh, from an ethical, moral, and, and health standpoint worse than anyone, and they have the resources not to be that company, but they were. Do you think that WWE's recent downtrend in the ratings, other than, you know, the pandemic with a lot of shows down, do you think it has anything to do with their, I guess, lack of a positive stance towards social issues and public health issues? Or is it just the fact that, quite frankly, a lot of people don't find the product interesting right now? I think it's all the product. Um, I, I mean, the lack of fans certainly hurts, but I also find, um, which makes, you know, pro wrestling without fans is, is uh, a lot less exciting. So... 
that hurts. At, and but also, the creative in the booking is atrocious right now. I mean, it's probably the worst in the history of the company. So that hurts a lot too. I mean, I used to, you know, uh, when people would go, oh, you know, it's like this is this is worse than like WCW in like 1999. It's like you know, and it's still not. And it's like no, nothing's worse than WCW. Then they were so out of touch. But did this group? It's like they're. I wouldn't say that they're. <laughs> Out of touch, but they're, they, they, they don't have their finger on the pulse. It's not like completely out of touch. It's just kind of like they don't get the public and they don't get the new fans and things like that, and it's, it shows. Definitely does. And, and you did a phenomenal deep dive a, a couple of weeks ago in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter with, with this ratings breakdown and Debbie's downturn. And we were talking off the air about how you even learned a lot just doing it in, in the process. Not to give too much away from it. It's not subscribed, but from what I gathered, Debbie's definitely going in the wrong direction, and AEW continues to be a, a phenomenal value for TNT. Is that so? Um, compared to WWE and Fox and NBC Universal, they're a phenomenal value for sure. Yeah. Um, what surprised me, I just figured that everything would be down, and I was more looking. I, I went so deep in the demographics because I was trying to figure out like who's down where, and I and, and I you know I certainly got my answers. Um, but it was um, it was interesting because of how much like a- AEW and Raw and SmackDown were all down with over fifty about the same. So over fifty, it's just kind of like it's, it's it was like eighteen nineteen percent. But when you get under fifty, and especially under thirty five, all of a sudden it's like things change completely. NXT held its own with over fifty. They're the only ones, uh, maybe because they're the, the you know the most conservative style wrestling or older style wrestling i don't know um aw has done um phenomenal 18 to 34 in particular just phenomenal especially in you know with women just added you know they're they're actually beating raw and smackdown in women 18 to 34 which makes absolutely no sense um and last week actually in overall 18 to 34 they won but they're gaining whereas these other companies are losing so it's been, um, it, it isn't so much that AEW's gained a lot, but they haven't fallen during the pandemic much at all. Um, and I think that's because they, they're, they're in touch with their audience, and WWE is not in touch with their audience, and they've fallen um, an incredible amount. I mean, if you look at 1834s, they're, you know, down like 40%. Um, 1849, I think, was, uh, 1849, uh, Raw was down like 35.5, and, SmackDown was down close to 38%. I mean, it's like, that's in five months, and it's kind of like, that's a drop. That's a really staggering drop. And, of course, the pandemic is a big part of it, but not all of it. You know, a, you know, a lot of that drop, because the other companies, the other shows didn't drop nearly as much, Impact didn't drop as much. Um, you know, that tells you that it's, uh, you know, it's the product they're presenting. You know, that, that's all, it's... In the end, that's when you drop like that. That's culprit number one. In retrospect, do you think it would have been better for WWE, knowing what we all know now, for them to have run archive programming after WrestleMania, at least for a little while, maybe kind of be like New Japan, where you know they just air old matches at, on New Japan World, as opposed to you know coming back right away, especially with all the health concerns. Because if you look at it, and I could be wrong here, but it's hard to believe they could go lower than this if they were airing, you know, I don't know, old Rock and Stone Cold matches. Yeah, you know, they could have done it, and I remember talking to Tony Khan about the same thing. You know, obviously they don't have the kind of library where they could do it for very long. WWE has an endless library. They could do it forever. Um, I think that what would have, you know, I think that we've seen with other sports, kind of like there's an absence that makes the heart grow fonder, and WWE certainly has not done that. But they were really, they were afraid of losing those TV deals because economically those TV deals are, are carrying them, and the companies that are signing the checks 
um, may be looking at a ways to get out of that expense because the ratings were not what those companies envisioned. So I think Vince felt the pressure to do everything he could to fulfill the TV deals. Um, you know, originally he was going to he was going to keep going live rather than tape because he was afraid of losing the deals because the contracts called for a certain number of live dates. But the companies, uh, you know, Fox and NBCU, pretty much told them, look, you know, it's a pandemic, you don't have to go live. So then they started taping two shows at once and cut back on expenses. But the, but the TV hasn't been good. It hasn't really been, been good at all. And we know, I think, what WWE can do long-term to make things better. I mean, obviously, book with logic, have some clean finishes, have some good storytelling, don't dive into stupid tropes and things we've seen in the past that have turned off fans. But, you know, right now, I mean, they're in a pretty damn deep hole. If there was one major thing you would want them to do or, or that they should do that could maybe not turn things around but at least start helping them trend upwards again, what would it be? Uh, stop giving wrestler scripts for interviews would be way up on the list. Every wrestler says this. They don't listen. Um, there was another one. It would be um, make your finishes mean something and don't, don't do finishes like it's the 1980s where you just do it because you've got to figure out a way to get out of a match. Um, you, you know, use your finish to, to build to the next thing, you know, to be part of the storyline. Because when the finishes don't count and they're just like easy, cheap finishes, nobody cares about the product. And you don't, you know, you can have people, you, you, you don't want people to not care. And you don't want people to be mad at the, at the wrong things, um, you know, mad at the company as opposed to, you know, yeah, of course it's okay to be mad at the, the villains, but, but you get people mad at the company way too much. Yeah, and it's just, it's crazy. They had a Twitter thread a few weeks ago where they talked about inter-brand dream matches, and it's like Drew McIntyre versus Braun Strowman and this person versus that person. And it, it just astonished me. There's no dream matches in WWE right now, whereas even like if you go back like 10, 15 years ago, there was like John Cena versus Jeff Hardy. And if you go back to kind of like the early days of the brand split, of course, they had eventually Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels and John Cena versus Triple H. And it's, it's just crazy to think that there's like no match right now in WWE that is that, that, like, that fans are clamoring for right now. At least not like like crazy. Because because nobody's like super over, you know. Which part of that is the pandemic when you try to build up new people, but they're not stars to the public because the public doesn't see a great crowd reaction to the people because there's no crowd to react. So um, I think that's a big part of it. And also there's the reliance, especially in the last two months, of of guys from the past trying to you know hot shot a one week rating. I mean they're even doing this Monday with Raw with Shawn Michaels, and it's like you know. Um, yeah, you can do it, but you're just, you know, honestly, you dig yourself into more of a hole when you do that because you just, you, you, you know, the, the, one of their big problems is, is that it's a very aging company. They don't have a lot of guys in their 20s or women, and more women in their 20s probably, but they don't have a lot of guys in their 20s on the main roster, and that's what they need is like new, like 23-year-old stars, and, and, and the way they do their system, they just don't do that. It's, it's crazy to think about, right? I don't feel like UFC's doing anything totally different when it comes to their presentation but i feel like maybe because they were the first like quote-unquote real sport to be back in the swing of things at least domestically here i mean they've been killing it they've been doing pretty well with tv ratings of course you know buy rates have, have been awesome especially by espn plus standards with them getting a huge cut i mean is it as simple as you know theaters are closed sports fans need something to watch ufc's always been great action and it's just a, a great combination and that's why they're doing well or is there something that maybe the average viewer the average fan isn't noticing that UFC's doing that's significantly better than, say, WWE right now. I think UFC didn't devalue its pay-per-views. Um, you know, even though not all of them were good, they always like had matches that felt important. 
and they hype the matches and they hype the, the athletes as opposed to hype the brand. Even though UFC is a lot on the brand, it's it's really hyping the stars. They made stars. I mean, the key, the key to selling pay per views is stars. You know, and stars fighting each other. And they've had some some really good matches, and they've had. Um, you know, um, I think Tony Ferguson kind of became a star. Khabib Nurmagomedov definitely became a star. Conor McGregor is a big star, even though they haven't fight, they haven't had him fight during the pandemic. Masvidal became a big star. I think a lot of that is, has to do with ESPN. Also, um, WWE talent really isn't going to be on ESPN a lot because they're not sports. And UFC, with their partnership with ESPN, these guys are now all over ESPN, and they become far more recognized, and you get people interested in your in your big fights. Um, I think that going away helped too. You know, I think that when they went away and came back, they did that great buy rate um, for Ferguson and Gaethje that they never would have done if they kept running. So I think going away was a was a a big help. Whereas when when WWE and even AEW didn't go away at all, you don't have the big comeback. You don't have the want and missing them. You know what I mean? Kind of like what's happened to a degree with the NBA as well. You know, and and NHL. Um, so I think that that's. I think that's a lot of it. Uh, you know, just they didn't they didn't go away, and everybody else went away. Now this has been absolutely a crazy year in, in so many respects, and especially in professional wrestling. Now I've interviewed your your colleague, your your business partner, your co-host Brian Alvarez a few times on the show. Uh, he once uh, had a, a great line where he said, "If you cover pro wrestling all the time, you go a little crazy." And he credited doing jujitsu and doing some other things to kind of keep him sane. So with everything that's been going on here and you having to kind of stay home more often than not due to the pandemic, have you been able to stay sane in the midst of uh, the outbreak within WWE, the, the speaking out movement and all the allegations, all the rating stuff, all the usual you know, backstage drama that you keep up with? How has Dave Meltzer stayed level-headed in 2020? I'm forced to because I don't have time not to go crazy <laughs> because I always have to cover something. It never ends. Uh, I think that's part of it. The one thing that is good was really good for me was was certainly covering UFC at the same time as wrestling because when you cover UFC you you know and it's it, it has become less in the last couple of years wrestling has really grown up a lot but for a long time it was like you know when you cover UFC you really see how whacked out wrestling can be sometimes uh, but um, really like I think that the wrestling has, you know, the wrestling business has, 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 I don't know if the word's cleaned up, but, you know, even with the speaking out stuff, you know, it's like the business that, that I grew up with when it comes to that kind of stuff was a million times worse than this business, even though you didn't hear about it, it was. Um, but it's really not that, it's really not that bad, just, um, I think the decision-making at the WWE, um, is pretty heartless in, in, in some cases and, and not always the best. But, I mean, like, the talent involved right now, I think that the, the mentality of the talent across the board in pro wrestling is the healthiest it's ever been. I mean, they, before it was like people who were, you know, thinking like con men trying to, you know, con people out of their money. And now the mentality is, is that we are performers and we're going to give people, you know, the best show that we can. And they do, you know. I mean, these guys... These guys try so hard. They work so hard, um, and they come in all shapes and sizes. They don't have to be all six two and you know two thirty and stuff like that. I mean, it's good if you are, but you don't have to be. It's all about your 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 talent and what you're willing to do and what you have the athletic ability to do. 
obviously there's been lessons in wrestling i'm sure you've learned that don't apply in real life things that are like this would never occur in real life compared to pro wrestling but is there a life lesson you learned through covering wrestling maybe it helps with politics a little bit in the sense that um the phoniness and you see the phoniness in politics kind of helps you see it i think no i mean um I mean, the, the life lessons I've learned in wrestling don't necessarily have to do with wrestling, but have to do with reporting. And those, um, I mean, you know, it, it wouldn't matter the subject. You would have to still learn those lessons. I mean, I could learn those lessons. I mean, wrestling gives you different kinds of lessons because it's such a different world. I think you get to see, you know, a, um, a wide variety of people because uh, wrestlers certainly are not cookie-cutter people, but not, not whatsoever. Um, and I mean, they, and, and, and they vary, you know, it's like you have some really honest guys, you have some really dishonest guys, um, you have, um, ambitious guys, you have people who aren't not that ambitious, you have people with incredible drive, um, you know, who, who sacrifice so much. Um, so yeah, you, um, I mean, I, I think it's, I think like covering wrestling, you do get kind of, um, you know, a perspective of a lot of different things. You had, you had a great perspective, too, learning back in the day from the late, great journalist Frank DeFord. For those that don't know, I mean, he was on Real Sports. I mean, he ran uh, a number of publications. I mean, just an absolutely legendary writer, a, a guy who, who gave his full endorsement to you. Uh, looking back, how fortunate do you feel to learn from him? Not Forget wrestling, just when it comes to journalism and life. What a lucky break that was. Um, I mean, it's like you... It's so funny because it was like... You know, when I was like a, a kid, like 10, 11 years old, he was my favorite writer. So the idea that I was able to work with him for, you know, a year and a half um, so closely was like a dream come true. I mean, I remember like when, when he called me up when he was starting the National to, to do it, it was almost like, 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 I don't know how to, it was, it was so weird because when, 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 I, when I took the call, it was like, how, how did this happen? You know what I mean? It's like this... This was never going to happen in my life, and there it did. And, yeah, learning from him, he was so experienced, and he saw through so much bullshit. And, um, you know, he, I mean, I definitely learned a lot about ethics and, you know, things like that and just discussions. We never, we never talked wrestling, although we sometimes talked Vince McMahon, but we didn't really talk wrestling, wrestling, because he wasn't really a wrestling fan, but we would talk... Um, you know, boxing, um, you know, I mean, I remember he was, and it didn't happen yet, but I remember him telling me, like, you know, you're going to you're gonna get to a certain age, and you're going to hate boxing. I remember him telling me that, because he hated boxing. Um, and I didn't get to where I hated boxing, but I remember him telling me, like, like, you know, he was like a big boxing fan, and then he reached a certain age, and he absolutely hated boxing because of the, you know, the human loss, you know, lives lost, things like that, deaths in the ring, and, and the fact that, in the end, like the fighters, you know, some of them make it, but most of them don't. And it chews you up and spits you out, and you get brain damage and the whole bit. You know, and he really was not a fan of, of, of how boxing was. And um, I remember, um, you know, but he, um, you know, he, he had a wide variety of interests. I mean, like, you know, a lot of sports people, it's baseball, football, hockey, basketball. I mean, he was like me, where we, where we, where we both had in common is we were into, like, you know, if it was beach volleyball or... Um, roller derby or whatever it was like that stuff fascinated us the offbeat sports so um yeah um it was it it was the luckiest break for sure you know i mean um it's probably the luckiest break of my career you know i mean the other one was um 
you know, early on when, when some of the wrestlers started talking to me, and, and luckily I got really smart ones talking to me, and some of the promoters and kind of teaching me, you know, the, the methods of promoting, so, which was really good because, you know, they kind of taught me to see through the BS of other promoters. Um, so um, I, was really, I was really lucky, at, at, you know, for both of those things. When did you realize that the Wrestling Observer Newsletter could become a business and your career? Mm. You know, when I first started it, I, I thought that the potential was there, but I didn't really expect it. Um, I guess in um, 86, 87, uh, when I was making no money on it, and I was working so hard as a sports writer, and I kind of had to make the choice, and my parents and everybody just thought, well, you've you got to keep the wrestling thing and go into sports writing, and I chose the other one, and everybody was like, you know, you chose the one with no future, but I, I just, I, I felt like that wrestling was undercovered, and I could, I, I could feel a better, like, like there's always going to be some people covering sports, but I didn't think wrestling had that, so I thought that I could be of more benefit on on wrestling, and also by that time it was like even though I wasn't making any money doing wrestling, I was more famous doing wrestling than I was doing, um, you know, high school sports or you know, whatever soccer or whatever. Um, so it kind of like led me there. And then, um, you know, after I kind of made that call and I wrote, you know, I did the who's who book, which, which did start making money. Um, and then the national came and then that, that was like, when I started writing for the national, that's when it really turned around those two years, you know, because I was in a big daily paper and my name got big and I got a lot of new subscribers. I mean, really my subscriptions, I don't remember what it was, but, um, I mean, it went from a very modest number and probably, um, doubled, you know, or tripled during that two-year period. Wow. And from that point on, it, I've been able to make a good living out of it. So the National was a was huge. That, that period was a great period of growth, uh, just by having the exposure in the National every week. I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs, and, and the recurring theme uh, that, that they t tell me in their stories is they're always worried that one day they wake up and everything's just gone. You know, everything they worked for, everything they built, and they always feel like they have to keep refining, keep trying new things. Obviously, you'll stay consistent with what's working. Uh, what, uh, what does Dave Meltzer do in order to not only stay consistent, but to make sure that this keeps going and going and growing as you get older? Pray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the mercy of the, the business, unfortunately. Um, and really, the top company kind of determines your... You know, I, I would like, you know... Um, you know, like a big wrestling war would be really cool. Um, and we have one. I think that that's been interesting. But um, we've been lucky um, in, in the sense of I think we got into the podcasting thing at the bottom, you know, at the ground floor. And so by the time it got big, we were established. So I think that that was a real lucky. But it's, you know, the business success, I, I, I mean, it's like, like with Brian Alvarez, we work really, really hard, like just super hard, and we're super dedicated to our, our clientele. I mean, literally, you know, I mean, we don't, miss, we don't miss shows. And, I mean, no matter what happens in our personal life, and sometimes we may have to record at 1.30 a.m., actually, very, it's more often than you think, but we just don't miss shows. Um, so the hard work is certainly part of it, but um, it's, it's also... Um, I mean, it's, it's understanding what we cover as well. And it's also been a lot of, um, I think there's been a lot of luck in the sense of the podcasting thing hitting at the right time. Um, 
you know, um, the Internet uh, changed it. Um, I mean, it's made, it's made things more competitive, but that's good, but it also has opened up information a lot more. And the ease of contacting people is a lot more. The Internet's really... The Internet has, has some horrible qualities, but by and large, I know a lot of people think that it's, it's a negative. I think it's a giant positive. But there, you know, there is a giant negative to it. Horrible negative. But the positive outweighs the, the negative. We like to ask all our guests some kind of rapid-fire questions, some random questions, just so fans can get to know them better. Are you ready? Sure. What's your favorite cheat meal? Cheat meal? I don't really like cheat meals too much. Um, you know, just going out. I mean, I mean, I, I, I would go out to restaurants all the time, but even then I didn't really eat too bad. And now there's not a lot of restaurants. So now, you know, actually, the one thing I'll say is, is during the pandemic, um, I've eaten a lot better just because, uh, you know, there's no restaurants to go to. But, you know, I mean, I mean when I go out, it's, uh, you know, a lot of sushi and things like that. That would be like my, my favorite restaurant meal. Good choice, good choice. Yeah, I can attest to that. Not being in, in New York City during the pandemic, being uh, holed up in Jersey, uh, it's, a, it's a lot less tempting not having a Shake Shack around the corner. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, um, you know, because I don't have bad food in the house, and I, don't leave, and I don't leave the house. So it's actually been, like, the, the diet's actually been pretty easy. I mean, like, like and it's no, no pressure because it's like, you got no choice. I mean, I'll, I'll have these days where it's just like, ah, I crave something, but... It's like, I can't have it anyway. I mean, you know, the, you know, certain restaurant things, you know, like, I, I, I've got, I've got a, you know, um, Bogo to Chow's right around the corner from my house, but it's not open, so it, it like, even if I crave it, it's like, I ain't going. <laughs> True. Now, you're somebody that's also known to have worked out rigorously over the years, maintained an awesome physique, especially for your age, and you once famously or infamously, depending on who you ask, said that you have better abs than John Morrison on your radio show. Um, I, 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 I did four years, four and a half, five years ago, I did. I don't anymore. Oh, it, it's age, age, you know, you, you can't beat age. And um, I was amazed at the time. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't really do a lot. I mean, when I was young, I, 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 I trained very, very hard, and, and my body responded real well to training. I was very lucky. And then, you know, my son was born. It was just kind of like I didn't do anything. And then I did, like, little bits here and there, essentially just, like, lift weights during um, the commercials on Raw. I mean, that's literally what I would do. And then, you know, I started gaining weight, and that wasn't good. And so I started doing long bike rides, which was good. And then um, it was the – I was in Vegas for the Conor McGregor and Chad Mendez match. And that, after that morning I, I went to the gym. And I usually would go to the gym and, and bike, but I was like – I was going to lift weights at the gym, which I hadn't done in, you know, probably 15 years. And I liked it so much, so then I joined the gym. And um, up until the pandemic, you know, I was doing pretty good at, as long as I wasn't injured, which happens frequently or, um, you, know, I, you know, I mean, so. But when I was like 56, 57, my body just responded super. I don't even know what happened. It was, it was, it was so easy. And, um, yeah, I, I had better, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say better, but equivalent abs of Johnny Mundo. That was like my big goal when I'm 60, I'm going to have abs like Johnny Mundo. But by the time I got to 60, it really was a difference. Um, and you know, I mean, I guess having any abs at 60 is like a plus, but they're not like him now. No, not even, not, not even remotely close. It's just, <laughs> you know, 
well, well, reality. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we cleared out all that up. Hey, I'm, I'm sure your physique is is still uh, is still rather impressive. Now, uh, we cover football pretty extensively here in TSC. I know you also grew up a football fan. Did you have a, a favorite football player growing up? I'm sure I did. Johnny Unitas, Bob Greasy, you know, those type of guys. Um, I'm, there's probably others. I remember Johnny Unitas when I was a little kid, though, for sure. Um, 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 Brand Tarkenton, um, Daryl LaMonica, <laughs> Joe Namath. Not so much Joe Namath. He was too brash, but... but um, I, I liked Joe Namath because I thought that he was great, great for football. He was awesome for football. So it's like, I wasn't like a big fan of his, but I knew that like that guy, you know, was, you know, him in that, in that, when it was 67, 68 Super Bowl, I thought that was like the, you know, the most important thing that ever happened in football was when the, um, the Jets beat the, I think it was the Colts in that Super Bowl, because it was always such a, the AFC was always like, the minor league and the or AFL at the time. It's like the minor league and the NFL was the major league. And then when they won, it was just like, wow, you know, it's like the whole balance of power change. Because I was a big, because of the Raiders, I was a big AFL fan. And I believed like the Raiders and the Chiefs could beat any team in the NFL. But every, that was like a laughing stock of you. And when Namath won the Super Bowl and the Chiefs won the next year over the Vikings, it was like, okay, you know, they really were better. You know, they, they were more, um, more, if you remember, at that time, they were more progressive and more wide open. Does it pain you at all that the Raiders are no longer in Oakland? I mean, because it happened before, not as much. I think that it's a real... Um, the, the first time they moved, I thought it was a real indictment of everything in sports. Because it's one thing if you're a team, and for whatever reason, the local people don't want you, you're not over in the city, you don't draw well and they move to a place that wants you more. I get that, okay? But Oakland Raiders were like an institution, and they always sold out, and they left. I just thought that, like, this place supported them for all those years, would continue to support them. They were, they were such a – they were like that part of your city that the baseball teams never really were here as much. Um, the 49ers really weren't – I mean, they, they had their fan base, but the Raiders, the Raiders were, were a different type of a fan base. And when they moved, the first time they moved, I thought it was really bad. After that, it's kind of like, well, that's the gig, you know. So this time, it didn't bother me as much. And I also, um, you know, the one, the, the, you know, I mean, I knew this was coming for years from UFC, believe it or not, because it was like UFC people were just basically telling me before anyone even talked about it. It's like, look, you know, Lorenzo's going to build a football stadium, because he can't be an owner because of um, they'll never let a casino guy be an owner, but he's going to sell the UFC, which he did like two years later. He's going to sell the UFC. He's going to get involved in the football stadium. They're going to bring the Raiders over, and that's what's going to happen. And, you know, years later, that's exactly how it played out. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about, too, uh, the late great owner, Al Davis, uh, of the Raiders. I mean, yeah, he, he definitely alienated a lot of people, especially you know at the end. But, I mean, he was a guy that was brash, that was pretty revolutionary for his time, that took some major stands, that hired Amy Trask. Uh, with, I think she was like the first or one of the first major female executives in the NFL. I mean, I really feel like a lot of promoters today could learn a lot from prime Al Davis. Al Davis reminds me a lot of Vince McMahon, a lot. You know, in the sense of when he was in his prime, he revolutionized everything. And Vince McMahon now is involving Al Davis, which is really sad to watch. Having watched Al Davis you know, at the end, and, and him not being out Davis anymore and, and just being out of touch. And that's, you know, I mean, people don't want to say it, but that really is Vince. He's, he's you know, I mean, um, he, he needs to, 
he he needs to step down. He's an impediment now. Um, and I hate to say it because I, you know, obviously I grew up with Vince McMahon. I covered Vince McMahon for, you know, almost 40 years. And Vince McMahon made wrestling really, really big. You can't take that away from him. I mean, you know, you can certainly question ethics, you know, greatly, greatly, greatly. But, you know, his his mind and everything like that let, took wrestling to a, a, a great level. He made wrestling bigger than I ever dreamed it could be. But now, you know, he's he's a negative, unfortunately. So on that note, just, I mean, being realistic with the stock market and everything else and, and stockholders seeming to only really have confidence that a guy like Vince McMahon can run this company. Realistically speaking, do you see Paul Levesque ever actually running the company or do you see them being sold to Amazon or Disney in a couple of years? Yeah, I could see him being sold for sure the way everything's going, but um, I don't see like Paul Levesque being CEO or COO. Um, I could see him running creative. I mean, the thing with Paul, you know, and Paul's a really smart guy, um, and I think it would be better, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would be better if he was in charge right now, but he's, sort of, he's still unproven, you know, but, I mean, the thing that worries me about Paul a lot is on Wednesday, it's like they have a real, he's got his show that he's in charge of has a real inability to draw people under the age of 50 very well, um, and that's not a good sign for, for going forward. Um, and and I, I wouldn't have expected it going in. You know, I thought when NXT got on TV that it was going to be, you know, real big fight for the younger audience, and it really hasn't been. You know, I mean, NXT's the oldest skewing, you know, wrestling show on television. Well, second oldest, actually, um, Impact's the oldest, but, but you know, um, NXT's the second oldest. And um, so that, that makes me kind of concerned about Paul Levesque going, it's like you're, you're this is kind of like you're, um, you know, you were kind of given this thing to, to, to learn and to, to do it and see what you could do, and you're handed something where you don't really have to make money on it. You know, you can just do what you want to do and put on the show that you want to put on and grab pretty much all the independent talent you want. Um, before AEW, you could get anyone you wanted. Now with AEW, it's a little harder. But, but and, and he got great talent, but it's somehow not appealing to the younger fan base. Where, where When I thought they got on TV, I thought, no, they're going to, they're going to they're going to connect with the younger fan base, and they didn't. So that was so that is my concern with Paul Levesque. But um, you know, I I think he'll be the guy in charge of creative uh, on the main roster. Hopefully, hopefully sooner than later. In addition to, of course, running Wrestling Observer FWOnline.com, you're also a parent. You're also a husband. You're an entrepreneur. How the hell do you balance everything every day? Uh, not very well, um, <laughs> but, but I try really hard. Um, you know, I mean, I, I work really hard at, at what I can do at, at all facets, but, um, it's very hard, uh, that, that aspect, but you know, I mean, I love my kids though. Um, and, um, you know, I got, I got, uh, I got great kids. My son's awesome. You know, he really is never, you know, valedictorian of his class and, and never gets into trouble and, you know, pretty, pretty darn, pretty darn genius. And, uh, you know, you know, a lot more, a lot more grown up than I was when I was his age. That's for sure. That's awesome. God, God bless him. That's that's great to hear. And you know, def, definitely wish him and, and, and your family the best. So, Dave, we really do appreciate the time. Before we get you out of here, what's the best piece of advice you give anybody hoping to have success? Work really hard is 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 almost like the necessity. Um, when you're young, um, listen 
and learn as much as you can from smart people and pay freaking attention to them. Um, you don't have to listen to everything they say, but there's a lot. Of, if you if you're with smart people and you figure out what they say works and doesn't, you're you're going to be way ahead of the game. But you got to listen. You got to listen. And you know, if you don't listen and you don't want to learn, you're you know. I mean, that, that to me, my key is is that I never want to stop learning. Um, other people think they already know, and it's like I don't know, and I know more than you, so you don't know either. You never fully, like wrestling, you never fully know wrestling. Nobody fully knows wrestling. The people who think they know wrestling, they're the ones that are going to be out of touch because it's always, it's always going to change. Um, but, yeah, just um, listen. I mean, from writing, um, read a lot of good writers. I mean, um, and learn, learn from how they, how they do it. I mean, I'm, I'll never be Frank DeFord, but, my God, I, I, when I was a kid, I read... You know Frank DeFord and Scott Ostler and different guys like that, and even the stats guys. I was really into the. There were certain writers that were really good stats guys, and they fascinated me. And I learned the stats aspect as well as the flowing words aspect. So you got to learn both. You got to learn the business that you you know. Like if you're a sports writer and you don't know business, I think you're way behind. I mean, I know with with MMA, a lot of the reporters. When I first started covering MMA, the MMA reporters were so far behind on the business end, and then they, they caught up. But when they started, it's like they, they, they just liked fighting. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's the fight business. If you don't know the business, you don't get the fighting. You don't get, you know, they would complain about UFC making matches, and I would sit there and go, like, that's the right match to make. It's the match the fans want to see. And they would just be, but it's not, you know, number one and number two. And it's like the fans don't want number one and number two. They want personality. So, you know, and in time you figure that out. Um, but, um, yeah, just, like, listen what. Pay attention to what the fans want, um, and, 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 and also understand that that will always change, whether it's football or hockey or whatever. You know, what, what gets the fans going is going to be something new, not something old, and it's going to always change. But if you know that going in and you see the trends starting somewhere early, make sure, look for the new trends. Um, if you look for the new trends, you'll be ahead of, ahead of the game. It's better to be ahead than behind. Well said. And, and, how, and one more, how cool is it? Right, you just mentioned before you grew up reading Frank DeFord. Later, you you worked for him, were mentored by him, learned from him. How cool is it these days, whether it be wrestlers, fans, whoever, to to hear Dave? I grew up reading you. I still read you to this day. I love your shows. All that jazz. It's really cool. When we do the um, Q and A's um, before the pandemic, we would go to like big shows like WrestleMania or, or you know AEW shows or whatever New Japan shows. I would see people who've been reading for like 30 years and 35 years. It's awesome. It's so, it's, it's, that is, that is, you know, that's the, that has, that was the most gratifying part of my job for sure was meeting people at live shows. Um, and that is actually among the, you know, of all, you know, of all the things, one of the things that I miss the most is, is going to shows. Um, you know, the other thing about going to shows is, is that, when you go to the right kind of shows and you watch the young wrestlers on the way up, you get to kind of see what's going to be working in five years, too. So, um, you know, unfortunately, that, that doesn't exist right now. I can't wait for that to come back. But, you know, obviously, we gotta, we got to get a vaccine because that's really going to be the only answer. But um, we, we've got to uh, get rid of this disease because um, we're all going to be crippled until that happens, unfortunately. And it's, it's a very trying period. I think it's like in, in many ways it's the... Uh, I think it's the worst period in the history of our of, of our lives. I mean, some people's lives are better. I mean, in the sense, you know, economically, 
you know, some people are good and some people are bad and all that. But as far as like overall, um, you know, I think especially now with, with uh, school about to start and, and the mess of, of you know, if, if we send kids to school right now, it's going to be a complete disaster, unfortunately. And, um, but I, but you want your kids to learn at the same time. So it's like some really, we're, we're in a really trying period. Hey, uh, as the old saying goes, it's it's cool to read about history. It sometimes sucks to live through it, live it. but you know. But, but you, uh, know, you know, the the, the one the one thing I, I that that that's is is from that standpoint. Um, right now sucks, but in three years, having lived through this, we're all gonna we're all gonna grow up a ton, and we're gonna be a lot smarter for it. Um, not everyone, but but many of us are gonna be. Because we were forced to adapt and learn, and and um, you know that because you're you're forced, you're forced into understanding what you like and what you don't like, and and when you can't do it, you learn to miss it and you appreciate it more. So there's a lot of positives um, that could, could come from this period, but they're not happening now. They're going to happen in like three years when we look back. You know, um, you know, economically, like oh, there's smarter ways to do what we used to be doing, um, but. You know, living through it is is a very difficult period. It is, and but hey, you know, from a day to day perspective, right? I'm sure you can attest to this. As long as you wake up, as long as you have your health, I mean, look, anything anything's possible as long as you can, you know, say say you're healthy. Because you know, unfortunately, not everybody health, can say that right now. Health, health is absolutely 100 percent the most important thing. 100 percent. I mean, be blessed that you have your health because um, if you don't, um, you know, that that's you know. That's, that's, the, the health is definitely the most important thing, for sure. For sure. Awesome, Dave. Well, thank you so much, man. As a subscriber since May 2011, it was an absolute honor to, to talk to you, to talk about your career, to learn you know a lot about you in this interview. Fans, you can check out Dave Meltzer's work at WrestlingObserver.com, FWOnline.com. You can follow him on Twitter at DaveMeltzerWON. Dave, anywhere else? Nope, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Okay, very welcome.